When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Conspiranormal. Okay, guys, welcome to Conspiranormal. Serfiel is back. Yeah, I'm back. It's good to be back. I've returned from the Valley of the Tiki Beats and uh, admittedly taken a little bit of a hiatus from the paranormal and weird and uh, I think everything else too, but I'm back ready to get back into Conspiranormalin. Yep, yep. I, I was re- I was flying solo for a few we- for a couple of weeks there, uh, first with Tom and Jenny and then... Uh, AP Strange talking about Elvis, um, <laughs> and we're actually kind of going back to Tennessee on this one. We're going to talk about some um, East Tennessee kind of myths, legends, disappearances, uh, specifically in the national in the national park of the Smoky Mountains, which is something that uh, I believe both you and I know pretty well. Um, been there several times. I'm originally from East Tennessee, so. Um, well, I guess just barely. Chattanooga's just barely East Tennessee. But uh, Steve Stockton has returned to the show. Steve, welcome back to Conspiracy. Oh, thanks for having me back. It's always good to have you. I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, you're actually going to be joining us probably, I think, probably online, um, but uh, in the ether. But uh, you will be part of uh, Strange Realities this year. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, looking forward to having you do a presentation for us. Um, but this is a book, uh, this, this is going to be like the first of three books about uh, different national parks and weird stuff that happens in national parks. And this one is specifically in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So I guess, Steve, for the audience, I kind of know why, but for the audience, like, what what made you want to write a book about uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and all the weird stuff that happens there? Well, number one, I grew up in East Tennessee, born and raised in the Knoxville, Oak Ridge area, and as such, spent a lot of time in the Smokies in surrounding area, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, Townsend. Uh, uncle had a restaurant up there, so could always go up and have a free meal somewhere. But I uh, just love the national park. I like getting in there and exploring and hiking around. And uh, I like to go off trail. And uh, there's, there's just all kinds of weird stuff up there. And I thought, go ahead and do this one for the first book. Because uh, out of all the national parks in the country, Great Smokies National, Great Smoky Mountains National Park sees more visitors yearly than any of them. Uh, even last year with everything that was going on, uh, Smokey saw over 12 million visitors and the next nearest was Yosemite. And I think it was only like five or 6 million. So it's a popular place. Wow. Do you think that's just the proximity 
it, it being in the eastern U.S.? Yeah, it's in the east there, and it's within a day's drive of the major population centers all up and down the east coast there, you know, along 75. Yeah, I guess the only other major national park on the east to the east coast would probably be like Acadia, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, in Maine, so, and that's that's pretty far away also part of the appalachian trail the appalachian trail runs from georgia all the way to maine so it right passes through there a lot of a lot of beautiful places and you got you know shenandoah and the blue ridge in that area but the smokies is the big one. Oh yeah i've been through the shenandoah the shenandoah is an amazing place as well you get to drive through that parkway um i would love to go from I guess like the Blue Ridge connects to the Shenandoah Parkway too. So like that's be, that would be an awesome ride. That's, that's a great drive. Yeah. Especially yeah. in the fall. Yeah, the Blue Ridge is a little bit further west in western North Carolina of, of the Smokies, but yeah, it's a real nice place. And that's another reason the Smokies is popular is all the foliage in the fall. People come down to see the colors. And uh you get that kind of color in New England, but that's about the only place that, that looks as good as the Smokies does as far as uh, fall leaves and stuff. See a lot of people come in the bus tours and things that come for that. Well, let's talk a little bit, uh, Steve, about um, why the land there might kind of be haunted, you know, the great Smoky mountains and kind of like the history, a little bit of the history of the area that might lend to some of that mystique the cherokee have been in the area for thousands of years but uh even in their stories and things they weren't the first people there they talked about races of giants races of little people all kinds of different people that were in there before they were so there's certain areas that uh they were taught to avoid or to stay out of that just uh, one of those things you know you could just say that uh, the land is cursed or whatever and, and maybe they don't even remember why just you know don't go in there and that, that still stands true. I mean, they've got their deal over on the other side in Western North Carolina and in that part of the park. Interestingly, the park is just almost completely evenly divided between East Tennessee and Western North Carolina. But a lot of places in the Smokies that uh, the Cherokee won't go, just been passed down, you know, from the elders to stay out of there. So I'm not sure even they know. Now, they have a lot of myths and legends and a story for every single thing under the sun, which I appreciate. Uh, but I've, I've never really heard as to one particular thing as to the why, what goes on in the Smokies goes on. Just number one, the fact that they're the Smokies, you know, they get that mist, that uh, fog, whatever you want to call it, that rises out of there. And it's, it does look strange looking. And if you didn't know, you know, what that was or never experienced that before, you might think well, you know, there's something wrong over there. Look at it. And then as far as the, the history and settlement of it, this is kind of like a, some of the the North Carolina frontier of what became Tennessee and what was the real first Western, Southwestern frontier. Yeah, had a lot of people uh, come over from England, Scotland, and Ireland, and they tended to settle in that area, particularly around Cades Cove, because it reminded them of home. And uh, I can see that my mom's side of the family, they're all from Cades Cove area. Some of my uh oldest relatives or that i can track back or are buried there in kate's cove yeah and i think too like the civil war history is is kind of unwritten about that region yeah there's a lot that went on in there one of the most amazing things i found um 
and it's uh, over there close to Fontana Lake. If you don't know where it's at and to look for it, I found it by accident. And then I read about it later. The only marker is a very crudely shaped arrowhead. And then there's a little, looks like an animal trail there, game trail. But you follow that down into the woods. There's a, a graveyard there of the Cherokee Confederates. And it was uh, the Braves that fought for the Confederacy during the war. And they're laid out in uh, fairly straight graves. You know, it's, it's organized. But there's also a bunch of jumbled graves just all around that area. They had a guy come in who's a dowser, and uh, they think they've located where all the different graves are and got them plotted out. But uh, apparently the Cherokee, when they would go into battle, it was common for them to take their families with them, take the wife and kids and make a, a family thing of it. And uh, that's why the, the soldiers are buried there, given like a military burial almost in an orderly fashion. And then the family just kind of wherever they could put them. And you, you don't ever hear about that. You don't hear about the Cherokees that fought during the Confederacy. Yeah. And my, my great, great grandfather was actually a member of the Thomas Legion. He was one of the officers of it. Are you familiar with the Thomas Legion? Yeah. I've, I've read about it. Yeah. He, um, uh, Thomas was Cherokee. He was actually a Cherokee chief and um the leader of the cherokee nation the remnant that was left in north carolina uh, after the removal and he uh formed this legion of cherokee indians and mountain men there in western north carolina in, in waynesville and he that's where he's actually buried so there's a lot of interesting history there yeah and that's there's a lot of those little graveyards like that not cherokee confederates but uh, especially around the North shore of Fontana Lake and you get past Cades Cove and out in that area. Uh, I've been out off trail before and just all of a sudden, you know, you'll come across a few gravestones just out in the middle of nowhere. And in some of those places, that's where with permit, you can do the, the primitive camping and stuff. So you could literally camp in a graveyard if you wanted to mm -hmm. right next to one. And uh, strangely, that's, that's the most haunted areas in the Smokies tends to be Cades Cove and the North shore of Fontana Lake. And that's also where people tend to go missing around those areas. Yeah. Yeah. As we, as we've talked about a couple of times, yeah, we've, we've talked a few times about the Dennis Lloyd Martin case. I know that's one that's you're particularly interested in and it's probably the most famous uh, disappearance there in the Smokies. Yeah. I think so. And one of the strangest too, as far as when you start digging into the details and stuff as to what transpired and what didn't transpire and just, Strange, strange case. Yeah, it gets weird. Um, that's for sure. We'll talk a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about the possibility of the wild men that are in the Smokies. Uh, you guys can actually find, we talked about this, I think it was you and Danny Maslach we had on, we talked about some of that um, a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, but let's talk a little bit about some of these hauntings and some of these these places. You talk a lot about Gatlinburg. Of course, you know, that's like the main uh, tourist destination. Well, Pigeon Forge and then Gatlinburg, really. So there's a lot that, that kind of goes on there as far as like hauntings and stuff. Um, but we can start with uh, Lydia, the ghost of the Greenbrier Lodge. Yeah, that's um, near the all the Pittman Center area, the Gatlinburg uh, used to be just a, a lodge where, where people could stay. And uh, I think they served food and stuff there then, but uh, she was 
supposed to be married and uh, was going to honeymoon there. And she went and checked in a day or two early waiting on her husband to be. And uh, he never showed up, stood her up at the altar. And uh, she didn't want to go back home uh, after being jilted. So she hung herself from the, one of the upstairs rafters there in the stairwell. And ever since that, people have claimed to, to see her ghost hanging there. Uh, she's haunted different places in the restaurant. That's the most common place to see her is at the top of the stairs. And uh, right after it first happened, they put her in an unmarked grave. They didn't want to bury her in the churchyard since she took her own life. And uh, she haunted the caretaker of the Greenbrier there, kept appearing to him every night. Until finally, he, he knew where the grave was. He went and put up just a rough stone. And then after that, that haunting stopped. And then the legend continues that um, the husband-to-be hadn't stood her up at all, but was killed by a wild boar. Mm -hmm. And he supposedly haunts the area, too. And then the third legend, that is, that uh, he did stand her up and uh, she was the spirit in the wild boar that killed him. So there's, there's all kinds of, you kind of choose your own adventure on that one. But it's, it's an actively haunted location. It's got a feel to it. Uh, the, the wait staff and the owners and things talked about, you know, seeing things move and uh, lock it up at night. And then the next morning when they come in, stuff's moved around and not where they left it and stuff. So it's, it's active, creepy legend. And they also have uh, some stuff on the menu. Like they have uh, Lydia's chocolate suicide for two, which <laughs> I think is kind of in poor taste. That might be one of the reasons she still haunts the place. Uh-huh. <laughs> suicide by chocolate <laughs> yeah <laughs> gotta get that tourism dollar any way you can right so, yeah. right yeah well that's that's pretty much gatlinburg if anybody's ever been you know what we're talking about i haven't been there and god it's been years that i've actually it's been, been a while since there. i've been but i don't expect it's gotten any better right well well finch and forge is worse oh yeah 10 times worse and because I didn't remember a time not that long ago, I guess longer than I think, but you could drive from Sevierville to, into Pigeon Forge and it was all fields and pasture lands and stuff. She got to like uh, Porpoise Island and Magic World and some of that stuff that used to be there. And then beyond that, there was nothing more fields and farms and things before you went on into the park. But now by the time you hit Sevierville, it's just all the way through until you get to the entrance of the park there. It's just jam-packed because they can't expand in gatlinburg i mean it's built right out to the sidewalk uh, the only thing they can do is tear stuff down that's there and build it up or build it back further right. away from the road but that's uh pigeon forge and severe of course you got dollywood and, and things like that in there that, that helps with that uh, a lot of jobs there though and i think that's another reason they don't talk about a lot of this stuff the whole that part of the country it's it's tourism 100 percent. the park and then uh Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and all the attractions and everything. And if you tell people, yeah, something's uh, taking people and killing them or eating them or making them disappear or whatever, you know, that's, that's not necessarily a draw. It would be for me, but most people. <laughs> it's, it's inimical to, uh, to tourism for, to do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> There'd definitely be a lot of interest in, in suppressing some of that, or at least trying to yeah. keep it from getting very popular. So let's talk a little bit. Let's talk about the Rocky Top End murders. I mean, of course, we got to mention this. You know, that's the Tennessee State song. Yeah. Well, that's there's even some controversy with that. Uh, 
Police uh, and Budlow Bryant wrote that song. And uh, my brother uh, was a pastor and she used to come to his church. And I asked her about that. And she's like, honey, we wrote that song at the Gatlinburg Inn, which is right there by the sky lift on the parkway. That's the oldest hotel in Gatlinburg. I think it was built in the 40s or 50s, something like that. Mm -hmm. But there was a hotel there on uh, Airport Road. It used to be Airport Road. It's um, Historic Nature Trail Road now because there, there wasn't any airport up there. And uh, they claimed that it was written there. And it used to be one of these little, like a motor court type places, you know, with a couple levels, you know, the upper level would be on a balcony and park in front of your room type deals. And back in the late seventies, early eighties, there was a famous murder there. There was got a lot of local press. Uh, there was a guy from Knoxville called Tattoo Eddie that, they were on the lookout for just you know you get a name like that it's yeah. you know, like, but um <laughs> there was uh the way it was set up they had the, the main check-in desk and then they had like a check-out desk around behind the hotel on another road and uh there was a smaller office back there and uh i think it was the, the, there was a man woman working there i think it was the woman went back first back there to do something and didn't show up, didn't come back. So the guy goes around there to see what happened to her, and they got him too. They had uh, murdered him and stuffed him in one of the rooms down there. And uh, after that, people claimed to hear screams. Um, and one of the most frightening things to me, there was a, a pair of female legs visible only from the knees down that would run out of that area where the murders occurred and around the, they had a water feature there, a little water fountain thing. It would come out of the room, run around that, and then disappear. And apparently that was almost like a residual type haunting. She got away from them, but they chased her out and caught her in the parking lot and, and dragged her back in before they killed her. You said just just calves? Yeah, just from the knees down. And that, to me, I don't know what it is about that, but you have that same thing. Uh, like up near Mammoth Cave, they've seen a pair of uh, legs and overalls from the knees down running down the hillside up there. But I'd, I'd take a full-body apparition any day over a pair of legs. There's just something so frightening about there. Even a head. Give me a disembodied head, but I don't want to see legs running around. That just Maybe it's just me, but that's just real disturbing. Yeah, I don't know which would be really more disturbing, the disembodied head or the or the pair of legs. I, could, I think I could handle the head. <laughs> I've never seen legs or a head, but I have seen full-body apparition and didn't bother me that much. But if I'd seen legs, that probably would have been the end of my paranormal uh, questioning right there. But um, anyway, they, they murdered these people just in cold blood and then took off. And, and one of them wrote a confession and left it in a phone booth somewhere in Knoxville, I believe. And they eventually caught all of them. And uh, Tattoo Eddie was in Brushy. He was on death row for a while, but then they found out his IQ was only, I think it was like less than 70. And at that time, anyway, in the state of Tennessee, you couldn't put an inmate to death that was that developmentally delayed. But uh, he ended up getting his throat cut by another inmate. And I've heard that um, you know, Brushy's closed down now. They moved all that somewhere else, but they do uh, ghost hunt and overnights and things in there i've heard that his ghost is one of the ones that haunts that so nice little tie in there yeah that's is that still east tennessee yeah it's a war you're getting close to uh to middle tennessee over there but it's on the eastern side of the cumberland plateau so okay 
Yeah. Yeah. Was it Brushy Mountain, I think? Yeah. Uh, we could talk a little bit about the Wheatlands Plantation. Yeah, that's farther down in Sevierville. Now, that's one of the creepiest places I've ever been. It's You can just feel the negative energy there. Um, house was built as a, a plantation, and the way they picked the uh, the site for it, there was a large geode out buried out in the field, and uh, it's still in the basement. You can see it; it's still in the ground in the basement. And uh, that's places. There's been more murders and fights and, and parts of war and things there. The they uh, when they were fighting with uh, the Native Americans there. Remember how many braves it was that was killed there? I, I mentioned the number in the book. It was a lot, and supposedly they had they killed them and stacked them up like cordwood. And then during the the Revolutionary War, there was problems there. And then during the Civil War, and then ended up um, the older gentleman that started all that. His him and his son got into it, and the son killed his father there in the house in the parlor. And there's still uh, bloodstains on the wood that they've tried everything to eradicate. Uh, but that one, they were, I don't know with everything that's going on now, if they still are or not, but they were opening that up occasionally for, for ghost hunts and overnights and stuff. And uh, never been in there after dark. Don't know that I would want to be. That's just, like I said, it's creepy even in the daytime. And to me, that's, that's a determining factor as anything is scary after dark or can be, but when you go in the daytime and get the willies and the goose flesh and stuff, it's like, yeah, there's something off here about this one. Right. Yeah. It just has a bad, like feeling. Yeah. To negative it. energy yeah. there. And I think it's always been there. I think it has something to do with that geode or something there just spraying up around it. But uh, that's, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's worth going, if nothing else, just to see the house and stuff. It's, not really what you think of as a plantation house. It's not like the big ones, say, in Savannah or Charleston or anywhere like that. But for Sevierville, it was a big plantation. Mm -hmm. We got to head back to um, Gatlinburg, though, because this is one um, that kind of jogged my memory because I remember seeing these, like, brochures in the, I don't know, the gas stations or the rest stops that were just like, ghosts, come see the ghosts. So I think that's the Hauntings on the Parkway. Yeah, it's it's had yeah. a couple different names. It was Hauntings, and then it was Hauntings on the Parkway. I can't remember which one came first. But uh, it was like an old-time spook show, like uh, turn of the last century um, seance-type deal, uh, spiritualism. They would have... Uh, a medium in a cabinet she'd go into a trance they'd close the curtain around her then all of a sudden things would come flying out of the cabinet the assistant would whip the curtain open the medium still has her head covered up still has her hands bound they would go on you'll make a big business about that for a while uh, they put a tambourine and a bell in there you could hear them ring and see them coming out of the top of the cabinet again they whip the curtain open she's still just sitting there and just a lot of trickery a lot of uh, parlor tricks and things uh, another thing they do is the spirit slates. They had uh, two slates that were shown, passed around, shown to be bare. Then they tie them together, put them in her lap, close the curtain, open it back up, and then there'd be things written on it. And uh, there were like a spirit trumpets and things that would float along the, in the room and sound Bad. and uh, glowing balls that would fly around in the darkness, which is, it was like ping pong balls that they had painted in 
luminous paint and stuff, but it, it was entertaining. It's right, right. Uh, it back. It scared to, little kids. Yeah, it would scare the crap out of little kids. But uh, it harkened back today, you know, right after the First World War, when people would go and give money to these uh, fakers and uh, scam artists and stuff to try and contact their loved ones that had been killed in the war. So it just it shows you just how far we've come in some ways as far as uh, what we'll accept and swallow. But um, the cool thing about it, even though it, that was just a show, uh, the night manager, David, was supposedly his name, was in there one night after everything was over. He was locking up, counting the receipts and everything. Well, he, he starts having chest pains. He wanders out into the little auditorium they had. It seated maybe, oh, 50 people or so. And he falls down dead behind the back row of seats. Well, everything was black in there. The, the floor was black. The walls were covered in black carpet. And that was to aid in the hiding the machinations of everything going on. The people that worked there wore black too. Uh, some of them even on a, a black mask over their face so they could make things float. You couldn't see them. So anyway, this guy, he's wearing all black. He dies in the, the auditorium there behind the back row of seats. Well, the, the next day, the... You know, the morning guy comes in, opens up, and they ran a show. I think the show lasted about 20 minutes, and they ran like they do a show and then wait maybe 30, 45 minutes and do another show and did that all day long. So the guy shows up, opens up, and uh, shows ran all day. But when it came time for the night guy to come and uh, relieve uh, the day guy, he didn't show up. So they finally got to looking around and figured out, well, Hey, here he is. He's in the back row dead. And, um, and uh, later on, they found out that some of the guests had actually seen the body back there, but thought it was just part of the show. And uh, <laughs> after that though, there was things started happening in there that weren't part of the show. Uh, there would be an extra voice sometimes calling out, things would fly that uh, none of the cast members had actually picked up or thrown. And uh, at night, particularly in the manager's office, a lot of the female employees claimed they were touched by a hand that they couldn't see. But uh, the weirdest thing, those spirit slates that I was telling you about, they would clean those off and put them away for the night. Well, the next morning when they come in to open up, a lot of times they would find them on the floor. And when they picked him up, it would have David written on it in chalk. And that was the name of the, the manager that had died in there. Now, unfortunately, as good of a show as it was, it's not there anymore. Now, part of that supposedly is, in fact, due to the, the haunting, the real haunting that they found it hard to keep employees. It was like most places up there, especially in the summertime, they hired local teenagers and yeah. uh, mainly females. And the girls didn't want anything to do with a, david's ghost uh, grabbing them in the dark so uh it eventually shut down it's last time i looked it's a paintball place now and you think about that still kind of yeah. the same thing it's dark there's stuff going on and it makes you wonder if some of the girls that are in there playing paintball can feel those invisible hands of david on them or if he's still uh, crying and wailing in there like they'd heard before frightening to think about yeah that's real interesting we talk a lot about um spiritualism was kind of like this um laboratory of things that would happen as a, a result of everybody getting in that heightened state by trickery so it's this weird kind of self-generating thing yeah almost like a, a tulpa or a thought form or 
enough people concentrating on it and, and causing it to actually happen, causing it to manifest. Then inserting some real death into there, you know, that could be really fertile, I could see. But yeah, I remember seeing those brochures and I remember asking my dad about it. And he's just like, oh, that's crap. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a good show. I saw it several times throughout the years. and But, yeah, I remember those brochures. You'd see ones for that, uh, ones for World of Illusion, which had, it was just mannequins and stuff, but they had, you know, Houdini's Water Torture Escape, and they had Elvis and all this other stuff. And then uh, at one time, Gatwick had uh, Witchcraft. Wow. And uh, it was part of I think the Buckland collection that they had there. The rest of it's part of it's in San Francisco at uh, Fisherman's Wharf. And then the rest of it went back to England. They have a museum of magic and witchcraft in uh, Cornwall where the rest of it went back to. But I remember going in there as a kid. That place was scary. I mean, they had some hardcore stuff in there. But the Museum of Witchcraft uh, name didn't go over too big with the uh, the good Baptist there in East Tennessee. So they changed it to uh, the museum of um, museum of the unexplained or something like that. Had Leonard Nimoy actually uh, record uh, an ad for it and things like that. Now that was when in search of was popular. Right. And oh, wow. A, yeah. I see. Had a magic shop uh, connected to the end. So when you came out of the, the museum part, you went, you came out into the back of the magic shop and had to walk through the magic shop to get back to the street. So that was, you know, good thinking there uh, for people buying stuff because they had t-shirts and postcards and stuff in there. But the museum of the unexplained, I think is what it was called at that point. The big thing I remember was Ripley's believe it or not museum. We all, we always went there. You know, Ripley's actually owned the, the witchcraft museum too. Oh, yeah. did they? Okay. I see this brochure on, on Google with uh, Leonard Nimoy on it and like a, a pyramid and Bigfoot and it says ESP and it has flying saucers. Yeah, they had a Bigfoot statue in there, you know, like a mannequin with hair all over and stuff. It was almost comical to a degree, but there, there was, you know, some good information in there and a lot of people that was, you know, it was before you didn't have all this paranormal stuff like in search of that was about the only show that dealt with anything true paranormal right back in the 70s like that right this is before unsolved mysteries and sightings all the other stuff that came out later yeah lacant lodge uh of course this is mount lacant um i've heard some i know some people that have been to that so that's is that a haunted location as well yeah the the shelter there at lacant uh there's supposedly a little girl around the age I've heard as young as three and I've heard as old as five or six that appears at like two or three o'clock in the morning at the, the way the lodge is laid out, the beds go one direction or the place to lay down goes one direction. And she stands where your feet would normally be unless you're sleeping around the other way. And uh, some people say she just stands there and other people say she points. So mm-hmm. I, I've been there, but I've never spent the night in the, the lodge. So I can't attest what does or doesn't happen but i tell you steve like if i saw her and she's pointing at me i will burn that place down <laughs> like like you don't like the legs walking like kid ghosts like they just that's so freaky to me i can't yeah that's that's my worth that's my achilles paranormal hill <laughs> that's 
when I saw first full body apparition I ever saw, it was a child. It was a small child, maybe two years old or something. Oh, God. Oh, uh, no. Ran across the road in front of a car that was stopped That's at a right. stop sign down into our yard a few yards and fell down. And when he fell down, he just ceased to exist. Yeah. But that, that didn't scare me. It was just like, huh, I wonder what that was. But if it had been a pair of toddler legs that ran across there, <laughs> that I would have sworn off the paranormal right there. Well, like the whole kid ghost thing, just for some reason, just freaks me out. I've always been, that's always freaked me out. And then the second thing about it is that it's just sad. It's just kind of, yeah. it's a little the thing that always was, got me when I was a kid. He had Casper, the friendly ghost. That's a dead kid, you know, and we're supposed to yeah. laugh and have fun with him and stuff. Uh, I once saw a theory that uh, that Casper was actually Richie Rich. Yeah, so they did kind of look similar. Yeah. They were both made by Harvey cartoons, Harvey tunes. So right, right. Yeah, they they pretty much just used the same template, probably. Just you know? uh, Richie Rich had skin tone and hair. And... <laughs> Is he the only thing that's seen up there? Did people live up there? Now people lived all throughout the park, and uh, there's, I mean, there were some holdouts. There were some people. Uh, in Elkmont and some of those places and only recently, I mean, well, fairly recently, back probably around the 80s or something that finally moved away. And uh, there's talk of, of people that still live inside the park, but just off grid. Uh, I mean, there's different rumors about that. I talk about that in the book, too. There's uh, supposedly hairy wild men that live in the park and uh, feral, uh, like, inbred hillbilly cannibals and oh, things wow. too that are, are way way back in mm-hmm. there well since we mentioned it let's talk about that um i mean those sightings go back even the cherokee talked about a race of hairy giants that lived in there when they came in which i don't know how many thousand years the cherokee been there but uh, they were already there they fought with them and then finally at some point arrived at a truce and uh, they just stay out of one another's way but to me, that, that sounds like, you know, Bigfoot or Sasquatch or something like that, and a hairy giant. But then there are uh, even um, Dwight McCarter, who was, uh, he's retired now. He wrote a book called Lost about his experience finding and tracking people. He was the lead tracker for a lot of those disappearances in the Smokies. Uh, he talked about that. He said there were wild people that, that lived back in the, the mountains there. But now he didn't allude to them being big feet or anything like that. They were just people that had never been out of the woods and, and didn't want to come out of the woods. And I've had people, you know, say, well, that's impossible. You couldn't do that. But I think you could, you had uh, Eric Rudolph, the Olympic park bomber yeah. that hit out in Nantahala, which is just down from the Smokies, a little bit farther down mm-hmm. in Georgia there. Murphy. Yeah. He hit, yeah. He hit out in there for five years and, uh, from what I've heard, he only had like minimal uh, survival skills and stuff. Now he would come out into town and, and prowl in the, the dumpsters and stuff. That was how he got caught. Finally, he came out of the woods there in Murphy and was digging through a dumpster at a grocery store and a mm-hmm. rookie cop spotted him and uh, recognized him from the FBI's most wanted list. Steve, we used to like, we used to go from Chattanooga. We'd like just take little road trips through the Akoi and then you'd end up in Murphy, you know, cause highway 64 takes you there. Yeah, and we used to joke about Eric Rudolph. Like we were always say, "Well, we're going to see Eric Rudolph," because like people knew he was there, or like it was just. We used to talk about that. There was always this suspicion, but we would joke about that shit. And then in two thousand three, two thousand three, they caught him. Yeah, um, 
I used to live up in Mountain City, Tennessee, for a brief time. It's right up there in the corner where uh, you go one direction, you go into uh, Virginia, you go the other direction, you go into like Boone, North Carolina. Well, the Appalachian Trail runs right through there. You can get on it in Damascus, Virginia, which is just before you get into Abington. And uh, that's just down the road from Mountain City. And I swear at one time, we were sitting in the Burger King there in Mountain City. And my girlfriend at the time said, you see that guy over there? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, that's Eric Rudolph. And I looked at the guy in there. I mean, he had on a hat and big sunglasses and everything. <laughs> but there was a resemblance. And I've always wondered if that was him. But he saw us looking at him. And he got up and, and got out of there. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. May have been, uh, but he, then again, he might just wonder, you know, why are these people staring at me and made him nervous? But if you put a hat and glasses on Eric Rudolph, that was him. Well, the thing was, is like, he had to have had people helping him. I think he did. Because I've seen some pictures of his little camps and things, and he supposedly had those all over the place. But a lot of people saw him as a hero, you know, that he was, because uh, right. he was, uh, I think, what, he bombed some abortion clinics or something like that. Yeah, so, and like some, it was a couple of gay bars down in Atlanta. So there was did. some militant yeah. Christians that saw him as a like a folk hero, and uh, I think he got some help. Yeah, no doubt. There was a story that you talked about in the book. It wasn't in the Smokies, but you talked about a guy encountered like a like a literal wild man. Yeah, that's that's happened in in several different places. Um, trying to think of that particular instance, what the details were, but uh, in some of the Smokies lore, like with the Dennis Martin disappearance, the Key family, uh, or could have been one of the witnesses they saw what they first thought was a bear running up a hillside. And then the dad's like, no, that's not a bear. That's somebody. Otherwise it was bipedal with something slung over his shoulder. And this was after they had heard a blood curdling scream. But uh, yeah, that, that one story about the guy that just kind of like popped out of the woods, but that was, I mean, he wasn't a Bigfoot. He was just uh, some guy that was off the grid and had, probably been in those woods all his life. I mean, you think about that. If somebody like Rudolph could do it for five years, even with help, imagine the skill set of somebody that's never been out of those woods. Yeah. And there are places in there, Adam, that said, I like to go off trail and stuff. I've been in some places where you just, you get that feeling. It's almost primordial or something there. And you wonder, you know, of course, if I can get there, it's not that hard to get to, but I think there are places in there that, nobody has ever set foot at least not in hundreds if not thousands of years i mean it's that expansive the smoky mountains covers i think it's it's a little over half a million acres five hundred sixty-six thousand acres i think mm -hmm. that's that's a lot and if you've ever been out in the deep i mean really really deep wilderness and you realize just how small and infinitesimal you are compared to nature it's just that's a revelation there and i can understand you know why people go missing or, or die out there if, if you're ill prepared or not quite as uh smart as you think you are or don't have the right equipment or something there's all kinds of things out there that can hurt you or kill you or cause you to hurt yourself yeah i mean because like i mean there's mountain lions out there too i mean it's like you know there's dangerous animals that yeah, there's um, predators. I mean, you're not the top of the food chain out there necessarily no, anymore. No. There's plants that can kill you. Uh, bad water can kill you. There's, uh, You can fall out down a hole or into a, a shaft if you're going in some of those caves. 
Well, did you ever feel like uh, worried? Like at any particular time when you kind of went off the grid a little bit? Couple times. Um, uh, the weirdest one was probably one time I had a, a GPS, one of the Garmin's when they first came out, a really nice one. And uh, word to the wise there, if you're going to rely on a handheld GPS, make sure you take another set of batteries with you. My batteries were dying and I had to hike out at night and just kind of navigate by the stars when I could see them. But that's another thing, you know, you got to get up some places. The canopy is so thick. You've got to go someplace. So you can even see the stars, but I uh, found myself out that time, but probably the weirdest things I've ever experienced up there is when it goes quiet. And I don't know what it is about that. It's the most unsettling thing. And you just kind of notice it all of a sudden and you stop and you're standing still and you can't hear a thing. I mean, it's like somebody turned the volume down, hit the mute button. You can't hear birds. You can't hear water. You can't hear the breeze. You can't hear anything. And that to me, that's always been kind of a hint to move along, to go somewhere else. You know, I've, I've talked to other people that have experienced that, not just in the Smokies, but other places. And I think I talked about this the other time, but there was uh, one other time I was up there. I'd been up on Clingman's Dome, which is the highest point in the Smokies. Yeah. And I'd gone off trail on the other side where the observation deck is and was headed downhill that way. And um, now there's, you get up around that elevation, there's not a lot of uh, different kinds of trees. There's some, uh, I think it's mostly fir up there, but farther down, a little bit lower than that, there's some red oak and things like that. And I was walking along and I'd gone off the trail to look at something else, a big mountain laurel patch or something. And I saw this kind of off and to the left, a clearing. And in the middle of this clearing was the biggest oak tree I've ever seen. It looked like a Disney tree. It looked like it had been imagineered. It was so big and so real that it didn't even look real. And you just, you don't see stuff like that, not at that elevation. And I walked over there and I'm looking around it, looking at it, wandering around it. And it would take, you know, three or four people holding hands to get all the way around the thing. And, uh, it was in this clearing and there was nothing there, you know, just not even any ground cover, maybe some, a little bit of leaves and stuff. And all of a sudden I was just thinking, man, wouldn't that be a nice place to just sit down at the base of that tree and just kick back, relax, and maybe even take a nap. And there's like, all of a sudden, just like, I came to my senses. I'm like, what am I, why am I even thinking thoughts like that? It's going to be dark soon. I'm way up on close to Clingman's dome. And I'm thinking about sitting down by a tree and going to sleep. I mean, I think stuff like that in the woods is how people go missing. I don't know. Now, people attribute that to the fae or right. to uh, wood spirits and things like that that lull you into that false sense of, you know, this would be a good place to nap or, oh, I could jump off this. It's not that high or that water is not that deep. I can wait across that. And then that's the end of you. Well, in that quiet you you explained, too, that's kind of like a, what a lot of people describe as the the onset of that kind of panic yeah that's that's usually what happens it gets real quiet and then if you stick around there it's like the pressure builds up Some, something's going to happen something's going to pop and that's why i said when i experience that i'll go another direction immediately is it like a did you feel some kind of like was it a presence or just not so much a presence like a void yeah it was it was like being in a vacuum or something and you feel that there's like a pressure or something in the air that goes along with it even though there's no sound or anything it's like you i don't even know how to describe it. it's like being under a lot of water if you've ever uh yeah 
of scuba diving or anything, when you get down so deep, you can feel the pressure of all that water on you. It's kind of like that, but in the air, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's definitely a, a, an unusual feeling and not a pleasant one at all. Sounds like there's other predators other than mountain lions out there. Yeah. Well, there's, there's people, there's, uh, like we talked about earlier before we went on, uh, bears, but, uh, since the park was formed in 1934, there's been exactly five bear attacks and only one of those was fatal. Now I'm not saying, you know, it's okay to, to pet the bears or feed the bears because that's, <laughs> you can get hurt that way. You get between a mama bear and her cubs, she'll tear you apart. Yeah. Even black bears. I'm yeah. But the, apparently the most dangerous thing you can do in the Smokies is fly over to a small plane. Uh, <laughs> there's five bear attacks and uh, over 50 plane crashes. So <laughs> well, your odds are getting uh, killed by a bear are about the same as getting struck by lightning or winning the lottery. But if you fly over in a little plane, it's basically a coin toss from what I'm seeing. So, uh, so on the website, NPS national park service, um, they've got a warning here for the great smoky mountains. They said, uh, vehicle navigation systems and GPS units may provide inaccurate information in the mountains, sending drivers the wrong way on one way roads are leading them to dead ends in remote areas. That's comforting. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and they downplay a lot. I mean, if they're telling you that much, it's probably two or three times that bad. But now I don't know. I've never heard it discussed, but I know they're in Kentucky, uh, Southeastern Kentucky. They have the Kentucky anomaly. If you've ever heard of that, there's some sort of geomagnetic anomaly there that will cause stuff. Oh, we've uh, heard of it instrumentation and, and things like that compasses electronics to go wild i wouldn't doubt if there's not something like that in the smokies or maybe not just as strong well i think that whole region i mean the appalachian region in and of itself i mean you got a lot of weird stuff i mean it could be i mean a lot of people talk about the limestone as maybe being a factor or the quartz you know yeah, I've heard that about the quartz well i mean you think about that it makes sense look what you can do with quartz you know you can make a watch movement out of it you can do things with it it'll hold a charge or react to a charge and um, that kind of lends to the stone tape theory you know if you look look at some of that stuff uh, a videotape or an audio tape is just ferrous oxide particles on a piece of mylar so if you can record audio or video on that then i think it could happen with a, a rock or um, you know under certain conditions I don't know as far as the playback part, how that would work, but uh, I'm, I'm a believer in the stone tape theory. Right. Yeah. That's where those, those disembodied legs come from. You were, I think in the, in the uh, book, you talked about Juddakula rock. Now that's a, you said that that's another weird place. Yeah. That's farther over in North Carolina that I can't remember the name of the little town off the top of my head, but uh that was uh, supposedly, uh, there's stories of uh, the Cherokee had legends of a giant that had like six fingers that uh, would leap from mountaintop to mountaintop. And that, that rock there, uh, they claim, the Cherokee claim, one of their legends claims that Judicula is the one that uh, wrote those, whatever it is on the rock. It's It looks almost like runes or some kind of carving or something. I mean, might be a, an early uh, advertisement, who knows, might say Sea Rock City or something but <laughs> it, it's strange to look at and it's it's weathered a lot over the years it's not as clear as it used to be even the first time i saw it and they built like a viewing platform around it but 
I think at night it's still a place that the locals like to go and uh, look for ghosts and climb all over the rock and drink beer and throw beer cans at it and stuff. But it's, I mean, it's not just because I've heard people say, well, it's just the natural weathering of the stone and markings on the stone. But it's not. If you look, particularly at some of the early pictures of it when they first found it, it's it's carved in there. Somebody spent a lot of time writing whatever that is that's written on there. Yeah, I'm looking at the picture. You could definitely tell that there's petroglyphs on there yeah and the cherokees remember it so it's it's definitely uh pre-columbian yeah yeah it says they they think it's about 2000 bc so about 4000 years old whenever that that the, the i guess like the site of it is yeah you've got some other places over in north carolina that not within the national park but that are like that a uh, devil's tramping ground over and i think it's in Siler city been over there that's that's a weird place it's another thing like that out in the woods just a big circle where nothing will grow and uh again last time i was up there it was full of beer cans and stuff but uh there's supposedly stories of uh some boy scouts that tried to sleep in it overnight and went mad or disappeared or, or you always get those mm-hmm. urban legends attached to places but uh supposedly uh, i think it was uh Either at Duke or UNC, they analyzed some of that soil, and they said it was the most sterile soil that they had ever found. That it just it has absolutely nothing in it. You know how how'd that get there on top of the ground? You know somewhere in North Carolina, that there's a mystery in itself, even if it's not supernatural. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You talk a little bit about the. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply plane crashes and some of the weirdness that like goes on with some of the plane crashes but like you have this idea of like the smoky's triangle go like similar to the devils or yeah the devils or bermuda triangle the bennington triangle or the nevada triangle there's a lot of triangles out there supposedly even a, a tennessee triangle that runs from like nashville to johnson city to chattanooga I'm doing some research in that one, but yeah, there's just, there's certain places there in the Smokies. It looks like there's a smaller triangle within there. Now, again, it's like you're reading there that just because of whatever conditions there that I like that the national park says, you know, that these conditions can cause problems, but they don't tell you what those conditions are, but whatever it is that can cause your GPS or your, you know, your instrumentation on your plane to act up that's a factor and then the weather the weather can change so quick up there particularly with those mists and stuff talking about being up on clingman's dome at the lookout i was up there one day it was about two three o'clock in the afternoon and before that you know i could see all down in there and see all the mountaintops and stuff and just within a few minutes here comes this fog smoke whatever you want to call it creeping up the hill and within just a few minutes it was up to just below where the observation tower was. In fact, when I hiked down, I walked through it, you know, going out. And again, I mean, I'm sure that's just a natural thing, but it's weird that it just you know, can happen so fast like that. And I think that's what happens with a lot of the plane crashes. In addition to malfunctioning equipment, if you're, you're flying by 
sight and not by instruments, then you can't, you know, you're not going to be successful with that either because you can't see. So if you can't see and you can't trust your instruments, that's a fatal plan for a, a small craft. You said there was one plane crash where they didn't find all the bodies. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the people. I think that's one that happened the day after Christmas, I want to say, where uh, I think there was, it was either four or six people in it. Like yeah, and they, they only recovered one or two of them. Now that fed into the rumors about the, the feral hillbilly cannibals and stuff that they got there first and uh, had a picnic. <laughs> But, um, yeah, just, I don't know. I could see that, like, I don't know if they're actually feral humans or if they're even human. Now, that that's another legend that you get into. The, Car the Cherokee will get mad if you mention this one, some of the older people especially. But they have a legend that they don't talk about where some of the Cherokee women mated with the hairy giants. And so you've got a race of hybrids. I've heard that one before. Yeah, so it's half Bigfoot, if you will, and half uh, Cherokee. And supposedly that's the ones that uh, the wily ones that take people and eat people and things like that. And that's the ones that the Cherokee fought with. Now, again, that's all unsubstantiated. Like I said, they won't even talk about it. It, it pisses them off for you to mention that uh, they may have relatives that are hybrids. And then the other interesting theory is the fae. The, there's all kinds of different species of the fae, which can include elementals and things like that. There's uh, the Cherokee have a belief in that. They talk about what they consider a different race of people that lived there in the mountains that were around uh, two to three feet tall. And uh, they had a word for them, and I had it right on the top of my head. It's like, you one day to Sunday or something like that. But it was this little group of people that lived in the mountains. And uh, again, they fought and then eventually got to the point where they just decided, you know, we do everything, you do yours, and we'll leave you alone. But uh, if you look in, and we're doing some videos on this on Missing Persons and Mysteries, my YouTube channel, where we're looking into the missing and how that relates to the theory of the Fae. Because particularly in, in Europe, some of the countries there, uh, England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, uh, there's almost a fairy religion there, especially among the Celtic people. They seriously believe in all that, and you, they have rules that they follow. You don't want to insult the fae. Well, a lot of the things that tie into that are like um, when people go missing, a lot of times it'll be uh, when picking berries, or a lot of people have experienced some of the paranormal while picking berries in a berry patch. Well, now, according to the Celtic lore, that's where the Fae, not only that's their food, but that's where they also do their dancing and their mating. So uh, you're really intruding if you're in there picking berries. And uh, also, uh, fairies are said to not like the color red. You'd be surprised at the number of people that have gone missing while wearing something red. Dennis Martin had on a red shirt. Um, a girl, I can't remember her name, that disappeared in the Bennington Triangle. She had on a red jacket just on and on. And you would think that, you know, wearing something red that you would be easier to spot, but it, it doesn't work out that way. So, I mean, you know, that, that sounds kind of silly when you're talking about fairies and the fae folk and stuff, but 
then again, people that will snicker at you for that have no problems talking about UFOs or Bigfoot or other right. cryptids. I don't think it's that far of a reach. And in fact, those other things just may be a different species of the Fae. Once you delve into it, there's like 80 different varieties of fairy folk, everything from brownies to puckwudgies to, you know, all this. It's not, all that's been Disney-fied. You know, when people, you say fairy, people think Tinkerbell, you know, with gossamer wings, and she's going to flit around and sprinkle magic dust on you to help you go to sleep. But uh, the fairies don't play around. They're, they're, they're mean. And no, they're, yeah, they're, they're like yeah. Humans. <laughs> yeah, they're very mean. And I mean, like, all that, all that material all the ufo and the i mean you know like if you talk to joshua cutchin and um timothy renner i mean if you ever talk to them they'll they'll tell you i mean there's so many cross there's so much cross between the ufo abduction stuff and the bigfoot stuff that it's it's almost one and the same um but you know i mean in muslim mythology you've got um the jinn i mean the jinn the jinn do pretty much the same thing that the celtic people said the fairies did so it's it's like that in a lot of different cultures in uh some of the nordic countries you have uh trolls and gnomes and things like that there's places there to this day that if they're building a new highway they'll go around an outcropping of boulders rather than blow it up because they don't want to upset the trolls that might live in those rocks right yeah iceland iceland does that yeah yeah, just 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 go around the boulder because you don't want to piss them off, you know. <laughs> like, but I mean, I I mean, it's just I I think every human culture pretty much has these type of creatures that inhabit the forest, or that are almost like responsible for nature in a way. And it it makes you wonder about that because it is it's truly. It knows no cultural or socioeconomic bounds or anything. When I was in Southeast Asia, a lot of the same stories, but just told slightly different. The creatures would be a little different. Right. I mean, you had ghosts, you had vampires, you had, you know, basically all the same tropes, but just a little more localized. And I don't know if that's one of the things that just we as humans tell ourselves, you know, just to to learn to accept things or to to have a supernatural element. So, oh, you know, the fairies did it. And then, you know, it doesn't blow your mind that something that shouldn't happen just did or or can happen. So I don't know, yeah. but it's, it's interesting I, to think about. I prefer the description, the word, the other. I think that's yeah, much, that, that's yeah. that's a good catch all because you look into a lot of these disappearances and stuff. It could be any number of things. It could be a human predator, a serial killer. It could be UFO abduction. It could be Bigfoot. It could be the Fae. It could be Dogman. Any of these things. Maybe, you know, it's it's all the above. Just different cases, different things, and it all adds up together. And there is no one singular answer to what's taken these people. But whatever it is, it seems to be 100% efficient. I mean, a lot of these cases, they don't find anything. Uh, I think Dennis Martin, the only thing they ever found was a footprint. And there was even question about that because some of the scouts they were helping search for him had on the same kind of shoes. But, I mean, if it's animals or predators, uh, they don't eat your clothes. They don't eat your shoes. Uh, there's going to be signs of a struggle. The ground cover will be messed up. And as far as a human, you think about how much blood is in a human. If some animal rips into you, there's going to be blood everywhere. I've seen, you know, where people have hunted deer and bear and things like that and blood everywhere from an animal animal 
course, you know, they're bigger and have more blood, but there's going to be blood from a human. Um, there would be, in some cases, if you think even a mountain lion or something like that, the person would have time to get off a scream. And uh, even then, those animals, uh, mountain lions and, and even bears that eat people, they don't eat all of it right then. Uh, cats will stash their right. uh, prey up in a tree, come back for it later, and bears tend to bury theirs. Right. Yeah. All, that's, all, all cats do that. Yeah. yeah. And that's the strangest things about a lot of these cases, even ones where it appears to be suicide. I um, mentioned Derek looking there in the book went missing in the Smokies. He's one of the more recent ones in this century anyway. And uh, just from all accounts, if you, if you read the, the narrative there, it sounds like he was suicidal. Um, he'd been having some problems. He'd been suffering with depression in the hotel that he had checked in there in uh, Cherokee when they went into the room after he turned up missing. Uh, his dad said there was uh, a Bible on the bed and a bottle of liquor on the floor. Like, you know, he was torn. He was trying to figure out what to do or, or where he was going to go. And then he left a note in his car, kind of cryptic, that said, don't bother looking for me. Now, that could have been, you know, I'm going to go kill myself. Don't bother. Or it could have been, you know, don't tow my car. I'm going to be in the woods for a while. Don't bother looking for me. I'll be back. But again, I said those things kind of point toward a possible suicide but then again and he was up on uh i think he was on the sugarlands or sugarloaf i can't remember um but as far as little ed was on sugarlands that's the one where i was trying to think of but uh where derek was there a newfound gap is where he was at there are places that you could go back in there far enough i think that they would never find your body if you were going to end your life but again can you imagine if if all these were like that i mean how you you would have to be some sort of outdoor genius i think to to find a place that you could kill yourself that nobody's ever going to find anything and then people say well there's predation and the, the bears and the cats and the squirrels and the rabbits and everything would eat you but again they're not going to eat your clothes they're not going to eat your shoes there would be something somewhere. So I just, I can't believe all these people that are suicidal. Usually anybody that does kill themselves, they want to be found. They'll do it where somebody will find them eventually. So yeah, that reminds me a little bit of the suicide forest in, in uh, Japan. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll leave a, a string or a ribbon to where they're going to in case they do change their minds and want to come yeah. back out. But there's but a was, lot of weird stuff that happens in that. Place. Yeah, there is. I was talking to somebody about that the other day, and it was kind of a thing like we were talking about with the forest there in the Smokies where it tries to lull you to that. Uh, I've heard about people going in there that were not really decided one way or the other what they were going to do. But once they got in there, it was like something was trying to talk them into it, like the spirits there in the woods of other people are saying, come and join us. You know, you want to do it, go ahead, do it, do it, do it. So that's kind of freaky too. When you think about that, that there might be something in there that tries to convince you to, to join the apparently thousands that have taken their lives in that forest. Yeah. And, Oh, where were you in Southeast Asia? Where was I? I was yeah. in uh, mainly in the Philippines. I was in Cebu city most of the time. I was over there for a year, but the nice thing about being in that area is once you're there, it's cheap to travel to other places. I have visited Vietnam, Thailand, Japan, um, Hong Kong, 
Taiwan, and uh, Indonesia. Wow. Got around. And, and Australia, actually. I thought it was a lot closer than what it was. <laughs> so I, I booked a flight to Australia. It wasn't very expensive, but it was like, you know, an eight, 10 hour flight or something. I'm like, geez. Because it had already been, I flew from Newark, New Jersey to Hong Kong, and that was like a 15 hour, 45 minute flight. And if you look at the map, you think, well, here's the Philippines, there's New Zealand, there's Australia. So I decided to, to take a trip to Australia. And yeah, it was like a whole day in the air. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, it's like a 20 hour, like 24 hour flight from the West Coast of the U.S. Uh, yeah. It was interesting. I, I went over supposedly for three months and, uh, Ended up staying for a year. A friend of mine that I went to college with uh, had gotten a, they were building a call center over there. Of all things, Bigfoot, who's a big communication center. They were moving their <laughs> operations headquarters from New York to the Philippines just because it's a lot cheaper. And he'd got the contract to wire up this call center that they were building. And uh, I went over and worked for him and uh, made us pay in a place where the average worker i think at that time made maybe five thousand dollars a year so i lived like a rock star and uh, the guy also provided me an apartment and a car to drive so basically my i just saved all my money what he was paying he's paying i think like five hundred dollars a week and this was in 2003 and uh i just saved all that up and then when the contract was over i stayed an extra nine months <laughs> Don't yeah, and it was like cheap. Yeah, to live there too. Very, yeah. very cheap. Food for, was cheap. For an American. Uh, at that time, uh, I had a maid. I had a live-in maid. That uh, the going rate at that time was a uh, dollar a day, but I, I paid her more than that. I think I paid her about fifty dollars a month, which was just extraordinary for her because she had family back in the jungle that she was taking care of. But um, I would send her to the sorry, sorry store, which is just like a little corner, like a bodega or whatever. She would get me a, a pack of cigarettes, a pack of Marlboros, and four bottles of uh, beer, the local beer there. I can't remember the San something brewery that was there on the island. I'd give her the equivalent of $2, and she'd bring me change back, which I'd let her keep. But, <laughs> again, that was in 2003. But, yeah, you could go out uh, full sit-down dinner in a nice restaurant, two people, $20, including the tip. Uh, yeah. Fast food, you know, a couple bucks you could fill up. And they had a lot of uh, American-style stuff over there. You had Pizza Hut, you had KFC, you had McDonald's. But there were differences. Like, you could get rice at all those. Like, at McDonald's, they didn't have French fries. You got a hamburger and rice. And uh, KFC, I think it was mashed potatoes that they left off. You got chicken and rice. And it's just that was weird. And a pizza hut, you know, the, the, here's your pizza. What kind of rice do you want with that? <laughs> Don't want any rice with it. But a uh, funny thing, uh, now they used to have them here in the States. Uh, Kenny Rogers Roasters. You remember those restaurants? I, I, remember, I remember those. I remember. Yeah. They're still popular in Asia. Wow. I opened one in the mall there in Cebu City while I was there. And I went to the grand opening. And I mean, literally hundreds of people were lined up to go in there and eat Kenny Rogers chicken. And they ran out of rice. I thought there was going to be a riot. You want to see some angry Asians take away their rice, tell them we're out of rice. And I mean, there was shouting and grumbling and people shaking their fists. And then all of a sudden, here comes three guys running in with 50 pound bags of rice over their shoulders and saved the day. But 
it's just, it's a unique culture over there. And uh, so I, after I finished that contract and just kind of bummed around went island hopping and stuff, uh, they have a lot of uh, witchcraft and things like that over there. Uh, possessions. I would even see that on the news uh, quite often be uh, like a school somewhere, like a boarding school and a girl's school. And one of the girls was possessed and the news cameras would go out there. And there's a girl, you know, laying on the ground, twitching and slobbering and things are going on. And, and then they had a lot of the, the same, uh, they have a lot of ghost stories, multos, mighty multos is what they call ghosts. And then they've got a vampire-like creature, uh, Aswang, and uh, oh, yeah. it separates at the waist. Yeah, The upper half of the body flies around, and it doesn't bite people with fangs. It has a long tongue that it uh, pierces your skin with and drinks your blood. And the only way to kill Classic. it is to find the lower half and pour salt in it so it can't rejoin before the sun yeah. comes up. Right, right. Yeah, I've heard of that thing. Like the head detaches, and it's just like this big spine. He's got the spine that dangles. Yeah, floats. <laughs> it's great, great stuff. One of the creepiest things I saw over there is an island called uh, Sikior. It's known as the Island of the Witches, and there's all kinds of weird witchcraft and stuff over there. They have a some kind of a church chapel over there, and they have a. I don't know if it's a wax figure or if it's a person that's been embalmed or whatever, but uh, look up CK Hor and black Maria. It's, it looks like a nun. It's dressed all in black, but it's holding a skull and a cross. And mm. supposedly she's a night walker. She gets out and, and moves around on the Island. But of uh, the weirdest thing I saw, there was a guy there. He was some kind of witch and had a little Nipah hut. It was open all the way around to have a thatched roof and he had people, Adam, that were cut out of newspaper. It was a man shape and a woman shape. Like just cut out of newspaper. And uh, he, he picked them up, like showed them around, and then he laid them on the floor in this Nipah hut. And then he goes outside, and he's got some kind of like a willow wand or something. And he starts waving it around and moving around. We see this these pieces of newspaper start to undulate. And then they get a little more animated a little more animated and before you know it they start rising up and kind of bouncing up and down and then before the end of it they were all the way up like they were standing up and they were dancing around and moving around and i mean i couldn't see up in the the roof of the thing but i was close enough that i couldn't see any string or anything like that and that was one of the freakiest things I've ever seen. And then at the end, he just you know starts waving the wand and they lower back down, lay flat. He goes into the little Nipah hut, picks them up, shows them off and into the show. And then they take up a collection for him. Mm. <laughs> wow. So there's, there's all kinds of strange things like that to get into over there. Yeah. Well, you've always got that in those places, like the Philippines also, you know, this ostensibly Catholic country because of the Spanish influence. Yeah. But like, um, you know, you've got that, you've got all the, you know, folk beliefs and the animist beliefs and things that are, that were there before. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Magellan's cross. So that's there in, uh, that area. And there was a basilica there that I went to, I think it's Santa Nino. That's like from the 1300s, you know, it's, there's, a lot of old stuff there and yeah they were under spanish rule for hundreds of years and like all their surnames are spanish all the street names are spanish but uh, they will argue with you this stuff's not spanish that it's it's part of their culture but it's spanish uh 
a family that I stayed with are going to take me out for dessert one night. And they said, oh, we're going to go have leche flan. And I'm like, oh, I like flan. And they're like, you know this? And I'm like, yeah, I know flan. And like, how you know this? And I'm like, I get it at the Mexican restaurant. No, no, it's a Filipino dish. You know, they wanted to argue that <laughs> flan was their creation, but it was the same thing that you get in a Mexican restaurant. Right. They didn't want to hear that. Let's talk about the Polly Melton disappearance. I mean, this is one um, that you were kind of talking about before. Yeah. Where this lady, she just disappears. Yeah. I Just to be honest, my personal opinion on that, I think she did a runner. Um, she was in her 60s. This happened in I think it was 1980 or 1981. Her and her husband, who was about 20 years older than her, so he would have been like 80. They had an Airstream trailer that they had parked permanently, I think, there at Dudley Creek, which is uh, – as you come into the Smokies from Pigeon Forge and that way, Dudley Creek is off to the left there. And uh, they would come up and stay a few months at a time. And they had friends there, other people that lived in this camper park uh, that would visit when they did that, that they knew. So she had friends and things there, a couple other women that she hung around with. And uh, she also volunteered at the, uh, the senior center, which I think that was a Pittman center. Um, but uh, one day her and her friends were walking and uh, I think she was smoking a cigarette or something. And she just walked on ahead of them and they didn't really think much about it that she would sometimes do things like that. But she started walking faster and uh, went ahead of them to the point that they couldn't see her anymore. They get back to the, the camper park and uh, her husband's like standing there like, you know, where's Polly? And they're like, well, isn't she here? And he's like, no, I haven't seen her since she left and she was headed in that direction but another one of those no trace of her ever found uh there were some unusual circumstances though they said the day before she disappeared that she had been on the phone for quite some time at the senior center and they'd never known her to use the phone at all and she'd been on it quite a bit that day talking to somebody and but uh, all of her personal stuff were left behind including medications that she needed uh, i think the only thing that went with her were her cigarettes and her lighter and there there was some of her husband's medication missing but it was like xanax or something that she supposedly didn't take anymore that she had taken at one time and didn't take it anymore and um there was a rumor that a check was cashed in her name a few months after the disappearance but again as far as i know that's unsubstantiated but uh She'd never seen again, just went ahead on the trail and totally disappeared. But that's, I mean, Occam's razor there. Oh, excuse me. Some caught my throat. But, uh, the simplest, you know, is probably the most correct. But uh, out of all those, I think that she probably just, whoever she was talking to on the phone, probably a, another fellow or something, because so she was in her 60s her husband was a great deal older than her and in very poor health and i think she just didn't want to see herself trapped in that situation and having to care for him now I may be totally wrong there don't mean to, to judge the lady if it, if she really did something else happen but uh yeah the hiking and skiing club uh, was part of my high school we went up and helped in the, the search and rescue for that one but really nothing hmm wasn't she wearing red? Did you say that? Yeah, I believe she was wearing yeah. a, a red slacks or a red jacket or something too. So, you know, there you go. 
Well, you also have the, and we talked about this some as well, like uh, before, like the Trinity Gibson disappearance, which I had never heard of. And it's, it's a little similar. I mean, the suspicion was kind of similar that she ran off with a, a guy. Of course, this was a 16 year old girl as opposed to a 60 year old woman, but. Yeah, there's a lot of strange coincidences or synchronicities with that one. Um, her and Dennis Martin were from the same uh, neighborhood in Bearden. And they disappeared. What year did she did she vanish? I can't remember if it was 76 or 79, right off the top of my head. 76, I think. Yeah. 76. So yeah. about seven years after Dennis disappeared. But yeah, they lived in the same neighborhood. Uh went to the, the same high school that Dennis would have went to had he made it to high school. And uh Bearden, I went to Carnes in West Knox County. Bearden was one of our crosstown rivals. And my niece was best friends with Trini's sister, Tina, their younger sister. And uh, so I got a lot of insight into the case from talking to her. It just tore the family apart, you know, of course. But uh, Tina said of Trini, she said, you know, part of me wants to believe that she did meet up with some secret boyfriend because she had worked at uh, Morrison's Cafeteria in Westtown Mall. So she had opportunity to meet people. But uh Otherwise, you know, no drugs, no alcohol, always done well in school and things. Didn't didn't seem like the type to be a runaway, but, you know, sometimes that's the ones that, that take a chance. But uh, Tina said, you know, there's part of me that likes to think that she did run off with some secret boyfriend and she's living a new life somewhere, probably in sunny Southern California. She said, but in my heart of hearts, I don't think Trini ever left the, those mountains alive. And uh, there's a, just a lot of... Uh, talk that went on it was like an open secret that a lot of people there uh, particularly in uh she was a junior her graduating class and the class that graduated that year apparently knew pretty much what happened there's a, a lady named laura wrist she's got a website called canadian girl and that's spelled g-u-r-l 77 mm -hmm. and uh, she's in canada but she has done just an amazing amount of research into that case. I've talked to her. I've had her on my show before and uh, she knows like everything there is to know. She's contacted people that went to school with Trini. She has copies of the yearbook. Uh, she knows things that she can't tell because of who is involved. Uh, she's received death threats from anonymous people telling her that, you know, if you talk about this, you will die from some of the stuff that she's discovered. Some of it I know, some of it I don't, but I you know, will respect her wishes not to talk about it. But there was uh, some suspects there. Uh, Robert Simpson, the boy that she was hiking with and spent a lot of the day with while hiking, uh, he supposedly went off to track a bear uh, when she disappeared. And uh, the other people saw her disappear. She was walking with a group of girls. And again, she walked ahead. They saw her appear off the trail down into the woods at something and she kind of bent down and looked at it and then stepped off the trail into the woods and into the midst of time because she was never seen again. But uh, Robert Simpson later on, uh, she was wearing his coat. I think when she disappeared uh, later on his or her comb rather was seen on the dash of his car. Now this was back in the seventies and I probably show my age here, but back then people carried those big, heavy black plastic, combs in their back pocket of their jeans that was like a, a status thing that was what you did in high school and the, they weren't cheap they're were like 10 bucks or something 
Well, she always carried that with her everywhere she went. And for it to end up in his car, that was kind of strange. And then there was also some girls and beard that ended up with some of her jewelry that was supposedly given to him by Robert Simpson. So that seems kind of weird. Yeah, the speculation would be maybe that he might have done something to her. Yeah, and then there was another guy named Kelvin. I can't remember his last name right now. But uh, this guy had actually had a crush on Trini and had tried to break into her house. And uh, her mom shot him in the foot. So that, Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee. East Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, he, he tried to break in and uh, they told him to leave and he wouldn't leave. And when he stuck his leg through Trini's window, Trini's window, her mom shot him. And uh, he had just gotten out of a juvenile detention center for that instance when this happened. But according to the principal at Bearden, he was in school that day, although some kids on the bus claimed that they saw his car following the bus on the way up to the Smokies. And that was another weird thing. It was a field trip with uh, the biology department. And the teacher didn't even tell them where they were going until they were on the bus and had already left school. Now that to me, that just, uh, that doesn't sound right. I was a student in the Knox County schools at that time. And you had to have permission slip and it had to spell out exactly where you were going, when you were going to go and yeah. when you were going to be back. So the whole part about it being a surprise trip, I don't, I don't buy that, but that's the story. That is strange. But uh, another one of those, the only thing they found in the area where she, near where she stepped off into the woods, there was a beer can uh, or partially finished beer and some cigarette butts. And they were found cigarette butts in the parking lot there at uh, Clingman's Dome parking area that were the same type of cigarettes. Now, I don't know, but I would be curious if they saved any of that and if they could run DNA on it now and see what they come up with. Of course, back then, it, you know, there wasn't any such thing as DNA like we have now, but curious sure. as to what that would, would show up. So those are the, the, a couple of theories there that, uh, that Robert Simpson had something to do with it and that this Kelvin character had something to do with it. And one of her classmates also made some kind of odd statement to, to Laura Riss that uh, the last time she saw Trini Gibson, she was naked from the waist down. So that makes it sound like they, they took her into the woods and maybe took turns sexually assaulting her or something like that and then killed her and uh, either hit her somewhere in the park and came back and got her later or smuggled her out somehow then. Again, all know, that speculation. Don't kill me. Do, <laughs> no do death sets, please. Do you know if the police are still maybe if it if they still have a file open on that? I don't know. I, I, as far as I know, I mean, she's still considered missing, so I would assume that it is an open case, just a cold one. But uh, right. also with some of the people involved, and again, I won't go into any names, but some of those people that were involved and that were possibly persons of interest there have a, a parent or two that are high up in the, the judicial system or the, the well enforcement there in Knoxville too. So yeah. But uh yeah if you go check out uh Canadian girl G U R L seventy seven at dot com. Laura's got more information than you can imagine on there. She's pretty well versed on Dennis Martin too, although that one's really got her mystified. There's not any suspects in Dennis's case other than whatever the hairy thing was that they saw her running up the hill. Yeah. The uh um let's leave it off with Spearfinger. This was kind of creepy. 
Yeah, that's a, a Cherokee legend. And some of the older, the elders of the tribe, they won't even talk about some of these legends. There's certain ones like the, the soul rapers and things like that, that they won't even talk about for fear of bringing it to them, that you can manifest something like, uh, you know, any of the Wendigo or, or whatever. But the ones that do tell Spearfinger, it's usually told to kids and may just be one of those cautionary tales, you know, to keep the kids close to the fire at night. But uh, Spearfinger was a, a spirit, a shapeshifter that wandered there in the Smokies. And she got her name from uh, one of her fingers, her index finger, was a, made out of a piece of a sharpened obsidian. And that's what she used to, to cut into you and steal your liver. She liked to eat kids' livers. And I've got a little poem there in the book in Cherokee. That's the song that she would sing about liver I eat, you know, whatever. But uh, she was a, a true shapeshifter. She could take on the shape of anybody. Uh, but, but most of the time she liked to appear as a kindly old lady who was lost and needed help either carrying stuff home or finding her way back home. And uh, that was how she tricked people into following her into the woods, particularly children. And um, she also could take the form of like your your grandmother or your relative or anybody. And that kind of, if you ever heard the robot grandma story from uh, Mount Shasta, that kind of puts me in the mind of that one where the kid had gone missing and saw what he thought was his grandmother, but realized it wasn't her, but a replica of her that took him into the cave and all this stuff happened. That that'll be in the next book. But anyway, that's kind of like the Darrow's or something. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Richard Shaver stuff. Yeah, that the Shaver mystery. That's all over Mount Shasta there. But uh, the thing with Spearfinger was that if you could see the palm of her open hand, that's where her heart was, and you could see it beating in her palm. And now, according to the stories I heard. The, uh, the Native American greeting where you, you hold your palm up, you know, a howl like they have in the cowboy movies and stuff. That was to show your open palm was to show that you were really who you were and not a shapeshifter because a shapeshifter have the heart in the palm of their hand. And uh, anybody that had been away from the, the camp or the, the area in the woods, even like in the Cherokee days, they would have people that got lost in the woods and then showed them back up. And that was one of the tests they would put them through to prove that they were really who they say they were was to have them show the palms of their hands. But uh, yeah, that's, like I said, I, I, it's probably just one of those stories that people told children to uh, my dad was quarter Cherokee. And he said, you know, they had to tell us something at night to get us to lay down and shut up and go right, to sleep. Right. Spear uh, finger is going to come get you. Chores on the farm start early, you know, before daylight. And if we're up hooping and hollering and running around then you know, nobody ever gets to sleep. So but it is a spooky tale, and just just one of many from the Smokies. Uh, they even looked for her on uh, Mountain Monsters, I think. Don't say. <laughs> that, well, what a great show! Uh, <laughs> I gotta. Oh, you gotta, gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty entertaining. It's entertaining. Uh, I, that's in that. But yes, that's, it's entertaining. Yes. That's exactly what that is. But, and they do bring some some light to things like that. Uh, I'd recorded, it was weird the way this happened. I'd recorded that story of Spearfinger. I made a video for my 13 past midnight channel. Two days later, I got up and it had blown up and had like 10,000 views. And I thought, what in the world happened? Had no idea about this, but to the night before that, uh, whatever season it was, Mountain Monsters had premiered 
and that's the one where they mentioned Spearfinger. So it was just synchronistic that I did a video about it. Two days later, that premieres, and it blew my video up. But I, I had no idea. I'd never even seen Mountain Monsters at that point, so didn't know what they were going to have on there. But they, they do talk about some of the legends and some of the things out there, even though it's to me it's like watching wrestling or something. It's, it's a comedy. Yes. Now I'm going to get hate mail. Oh, wrestling's real. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it has a lot in common with uh, spiritualism. Yeah. Um, something I'm I'm really curious about, Steve, is um, some of like your research methods, and I'm assuming some of these stories you first um, heard as a legend as a young person, and then like where do you go from there, from from just a legend to start researching it and see what uh you know what if there's really something to it how'd you go about some of that yeah well it's one of those things you just kind of each one is different and you kind of have to do it organically sometimes and just secretly you start poking around ask another person ask another person see if you're getting the same story um old newspapers are a great way to go newspapers.com i love getting on there and typing in you know like wild hairy creature or hairy oh, yeah. man or ape man or something you start getting all these accounts from like the 1800s and early 1900s of some sort of beasts that were uh assaulting people or uh seen around this town or that town so it's just it's one of those things that there's not any one particular way to research it but uh the, the best thing i found is you find the oldest people you can and talk to them i've even gone out to nursing homes when i'm visiting areas and stuff and and those people you know they're shut-ins they're most of them are lonely and if they know those stories they'll tell them to you and then the obverse of that find the teenagers where they hang out where they like to party uh, used to be on you know, the arcade or the crystal or somewhere like that you know find the young people they know all the spooky spots where they like to go right. and park or party and and uh that kind of thing so the the, the teens and the the geriatric set are the best for starting in that path and again it's just especially with the older people, they'll remember well, that. Yeah, that happened on so-and-so's farm. Go down here and, and talk to that guy that lives on the corner. He was a boy when it happened, but he was one of the witnesses or something. You know, so you get a lot of word of mouth that way. And uh, just depends on uh, where you're from and what area there. Though Sometimes people just don't want to talk to you and, mm -hmm. and resent that stuff. Uh, but for them, it's not so much paranormal. That's their normal. Right. You know, when you go into some place like, you know, where you've got uh, the lizard man or something like that. It's not as big a deal to them. They're just, that's their everyday thing. Mothman or Flatwoods monster, something, even some one-offs like that. I mean, they capitalize on that and have their festivals and stuff, but uh, especially something where there's, where it happens, you know, where you see it a lot or, you know, Bigfoot or something like that, where they're common sightings. It's not that big a deal to the people that live there, or it's a really, really big deal, and they don't want you to, to come and intrude and chase it away or call attention to it so that a bunch of other people show up. Right. So it's just a lot of it's just people skills and uh, social engineering and learning how to talk to people and, and uh, seeing what you can get out of them. Some people are reticent to talk about stuff just for fear of being ridiculed, but then when they see that you're serious about what you're doing and you're not going to make fun of them and stuff, it's it comes a little easier that way. I've had people tell me stuff that, you know, their spouse might be sitting there like, well, you never told me that, you know, it's like, <laughs> so you hear things for the first time 
And then since the books have been out, that's it's it's opened a lot of doors for me in that regard too, because they see that I treat it with respect, and it's it's not you know done in any way to poke fun at anybody or to judge anybody. I'm just I'm a believer. I'm an experiencer, and just based on what I've seen and heard and stuff, I I've, would have a hard time judging anybody or making them out a liar or thinking that you know couldn't possibly be true because I'm sure some of my stories I, I probably wouldn't believe my stories if I hadn't been there to witness them. Right. Well, do you find yourself being surprised by there being like more to a legend than you, than you thought, you know, it might just seem kind of hokey and then it really turns out. To yeah. Be- sometimes you, you get ones that you hear everywhere, like uh, everywhere down South, particularly in Tennessee, seems like East and middle Tennessee, there's a crying baby or cry baby bridge or a white lady bridge. And you think, well, that's just one of those that's traveled, you know, and when it's told from one person that lives in this area to somebody that lives in another area, they update it just with something local, you know, like, right. I don't know where Spivey's Corners is, so I'm going to make it Morristown, you know, something like that. But uh, occasionally, though, you find one where that seems to be the place where it happened, and that's where the legends originate from. But then sometimes that can fool you. You think, okay, I've nailed it down. This is the first place this happened. This is the oldest telling I've heard of it. But then later on, you may find another one. And it's like this, it's, it's hard to do any real research. I think like a, in a real studious way, you know, I just, I'm more of a storyteller and legend tripper. Right. Yeah. I find a lot of those crying babies uh, locations will be places where actual, uh, a lot of infanticide happened. Yeah. Like where babies were thrown off a bridge or off a water reservoir or something. Happened a lot in the South. Apparently there were a lot of women that threw their babies off a bridge, at least one in every community that I've ever been in. (laughs) Gosh. Mm -hmm. Amazing stuff, Steve. I want to thank you for coming on. This has been um, really informative. Um, So this is part one uh, and part two, you will have out pretty soon. I think in August, you, you were saying yeah, August 17th is the date that I got from my publisher. Uh, I didn't know they were going to do it, but they, that's my birthday present. That's awesome. <laughs> Happy birthday in advance. But, uh, <laughs> when the, the book dropped, it, it came out like on a Thursday a few weeks ago and just, it was a silent release. And by Friday, it, the word had gotten around and already jumped to number one in new releases and then I spent sitting at number one in the parking and camping or parks and camping category since then. Nice. Cool. And I understand beyond the fray, this is like their own publishing. Yeah. And uh, they've, yeah. I think they said since they started in last year, they released like 22 books and they've got a lot more coming. Uh, Jim and Jade, my co-host on missing persons and mysteries. We do. She's the head writer over there. She puts the words in my mouth that I narrate. And then we also host some shows, uh, Campfire Stories and Fireside Chat. Uh, she and I are working on a couple books together. We're doing one on the missing in the Fay. That's mainly her. I'm just I'm writing a little bit of it here and there, and uh, kind of like I did with Cisco, where I'm doing the anecdotal stuff and the color commentary after her stories. And then we've got another one we're working on together, where it's equal effort that we're telling paranormal stories that we've heard legends. Oh, you're a busy man, Steve. Oh, I'm telling you, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> YouTube channel blew up and then I've got all these books going on and stuff. And it's, uh, I'm loving it, man. I just, I wish I'd start doing all this sooner. Yeah. Well, you're doing it now. It's awesome. Tell people where they can find the book and get in touch with you. Uh, the books are on Amazon and uh, Kindle and paperback. 
And uh, as far as the paperback, you can also get that wherever fine books are sold, as they like me to say. It has ISBN number. Uh, you can ask the library to get a copy of it. You can walk into any bookstore and order it. But the uh, easiest way is just to go to Amazon and order it from there. Absolutely. All right. Um, also, Steve will be appearing this year at the, uh, I guess, virtually, but he will be there for the part of our Strange Realities Conference coming up here in October 15th through the 17th, 2021. Uh, we will be broadcasting from Nashville, but uh, Steve will be probably joining us from Portland. Uh, any idea what you might talk about? Uh, I don't know. I've got some ideas, but uh, I'll, I'll reach a conclusion before the conference. All right. Uh, do you want to close the show out here? So uh, we just mentioned Strange Realities Conference. Those tickets are on sale, strangerealitiesconference.com. Uh, you can also find that at, at Eventbrite. Uh, every episode has now the, uh, the ticket link, so you can go order that on your phone. It's $30 to uh, attend online and $70 if you're going to be here in person October 15th through 17th. And also, we have Patreon. Surfiel can tell you where to find that. You can find that at patreon.com slash conspiranormal, where we post a new uh, Patreon episode every week, including uh, one you're going to hear come out a week after you hear this with Steve. And um, at the $10 level, we have a monthly hangout of the Mystic Crew. And we have special presentations and guests for that, kind of like a mini conference every month. You can think about it that way. And for the $20 and up, we have the Ancient Circle of Strange Realities, where you get a uh, special exclusive shirt for those level patrons and a VIP experience at the Strange Realities Conference. Yeah, it's hard to keep all these different levels and mystic orders um, straight. Okay, guys. Well, that's it. Uh, join us next week. We're gonna have uh, some more interesting stuff. We're gonna. I think we're gonna go back to Snake Land next week on Conspiranormal. Consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.